Welcome to the Foresight Church Podcast. Enjoy this week's sermon. For more information about us, go to foresightchurch.co.za. Right. Do I give it to you? Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is Richard. And um, he planted, him and Abby planted in 1998. Is that right? I, I, I'm going to get it. 1997. They planted Hilton Christian Fellowship in Hilton. And it's a strong prevailing church that has an echo around the world. And um, this couple have led it. And then they transitioned three years ago to uh, Dwayne and Lauren Smith. And uh, also a real blessing to us. Uh, Dwayne's a great, great guy. And today I want to introduce you to Richard. Now I've asked Richard to come for a specific purpose. Number one, I think they're good for us as a couple. We, we, I felt a connection with him from the time we met. But also, in the process of church, they've taken a church from plant to something that's fantastic. And I thought, we'd like to learn from that. and We'd like to pick their brain. So we're accessing some of that wisdom along the way. And um, I really want to ask you to open up your heart to Richard and Abby and to the ministry that they have. They are a resounding voice around the the world and actually they work into some churches that we've had the privilege of touching as well in the UK and, and around the country too so um, I think there's a little bit more of that connecting of the network of the spider web that, that you were talking about there Abby than what I previously realized so can I ask that you would just stretch out your hands to Richard and Abby and just ask the Lord for favor to be released through them the gift Lord the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've placed in this couple we pray Lord that you would flow with that this morning that you'd release your gifting to us we need this gift we need this impartation and so father we receive it in jesus name amen can we give them a warm foresight welcome thank you thank you man. thanks so much thank you because you're a sky because you're a sky through the stars gonna give you my heart Cause you're a sky Cause you're a sky for the stars Cause you light up the park I don't care Christian song. It was written by a band called Coldplay in uh, 2014. And uh, I want you just to keep that sky full of stars 
Somewhere on the right-hand side of your brain, can you just kind of hang it there? You've heard it now. It's in your head. Just, <laughs> you're going to be worshiping to the Lord of the sky for his doors for a while now. Just keep it in the right top, here where your right eye is, just on the top here. Just keep it there. Okay? Sky full of stars. We're going to remember that. So, I have loved the church since I was a child, since I was a boy. I've loved the idea of church. I've loved the concept of God's people getting together and worshiping and this community of church. I've loved it. I remember as a nine-year-old boy, I received a call to ministry. I knew from nine years old what I wanted to do with my life. But of course, we go through the whole thing about wanting to be a fireman and you know, a lawyer and a marine biologist. That's because <laughs> you think you just do a lot of swimming around in the sea all day long, and that would be cool, especially if from Mulder's Drift. Um, <laughs> don't get to the sea much, but um, so you want to do all these things. But I came back in my last year of matric, and then we had to go and do um, a two-year paid holiday um, for P.W. Borta. Uh, and then at the end of that, <laughs> I came back. Oh, they give you clothes and you wear brown and all the time. And, um, and, and they feed you. <laughs> and then I came back to that call again. I, remembered my, I remember my mom and dad saying, what do you want to do? Because it's like, you know, play it safe. Go and work for the bank. <laughs> um, and you can get a degree through the bank. It's like, so I said, no, no, no. I feel a call to ministry. And I remember my mom was, was perturbed by this because all the pastors she knew, yeah, they struggled. You know? <laughs> so it wasn't like the ideal job that she would have for her firstborn son. Um, and, but she was praying one morning and God said to her, don't worry about him. I've got him. Set her free. They paid for Bible school fees, and uh, we, we started the ministry, Abby and I, in 1986 in, uh, in a church in Peter Maritzburg. And I, I've loved the church since I was a child, but, and Jesus says, I will build my church, doesn't he? He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We know this. But sometimes, even though the church is Jesus' idea, sometimes we get hurt in church, right? You know this, because some of you have been hurt in church. I've been hurt in church. And sometimes we've wondered whether the gates of hell are prevailing. <laughs> it's true. I'm just being honest. You know, I'm a pastor, but I'm also honest. You know, I mean, it's sometimes you never know, but I, I, <laughs> I'm just like you. I'm one of you. I, I'm just I'm trying to make it through life, trying to do the best I can with what God's given me. It's all of us. We're in the same boat. Nobody's on any higher level. I'm on the stage because I, they need it for the cameras. Otherwise, I'd be there. But no, listen, friends, we're all together in this. We're all trying to make it through, trying to serve Jesus with our lives. 
be fulfill what he's given us to do. So if you have been hurt in church before, I just want to say on behalf of all church leadership ever, please forgive us. We didn't do it, didn't do it on purpose. Hopefully we didn't do it on purpose. But if you have been hurt, and I've been hurt in church, friends, we can't stay there. We can't stay there because then the gates of hell have prevailed. We've got to get victory. We've got to, we've got to push through. And yeah, painful, I know. I was injured in church, and I gave my life to it. But Jesus is building his perfect bride. So, we know that he's the head of the church. We know this, but we also know that there's been some pretty bad human representation of Jesus in the leadership of the church. We know this. Okay, so what have you got on the top right-hand side of your brain here? What's it? A sky full of stars. All right, keep it there. We'll get to the minute in a minute. Now, a guy by the name of John Tyson, he's a, a blogger, writer, researcher. Uh, he came up with, they did a whole study on, on, on um, indigenous peoples around the world, and they came up with this um, concept of rites of passage, something that we've pretty much lost in our generation today uh, or in our culture today. But rites of passage, if, if you grew up in the Eastern Cape, you, you would understand that. They have, they have an initiation schools that they go to. In diff- different parts of the world, there are all different types of rites of passage that where you, you, you become from a, from a boy to a man. And so there's this, this, okay, he was a child, now we recognize he's a man. So you have this, this thing. So I'll quickly run through that when they distilled this all down, they got five points that these rites of passage achieve and five shifts that take place from immature to mature. So the first one is that life is hard. <laughs> That's the first shift. If you're going to grow from immaturity to maturity, the first thing you've got to settle is life is hard. And you go, compared to what? <laughs> so life is hard. So, so we get it. So it's the shift from ease to difficulty. So boys do easy things. Men embrace difficult things. It's not meant to be easy. One day we're going to rest and we're going to receive a crown if you do what you do, what you're called to do faithfully. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's coming one day. But right now we work and life is hard. The second shift is that your life is not about you. <laughs> your life is not about you. It's a shift from the whole to a part. So boys think that they're the whole story. Men know that they are part of a bigger story. The third shift you are not in control. <laughs> Might come as a surprise to some of you, uh, but you really are not. And it's a shift from control to surrender. Life is a challenge. Things are going to come our way that we can't control. 
We are not God. We know this. And so boys try to control everything. Men recognize their limits. And they don't try and control everything because they know. You know, sometimes some guys, <laughs> some guys haven't joined those dots yet. And so they run ragged trying to control everything. They run ragged trying to be the big story. If we get this, we're not in control. God's in control. And you know what? Your end time eschatology could be whatever it is. By you digging a hole in the ground and packing it full of baked beans and living with your air conditioner and your rifle, you're not going to stop what's going to happen. I mean, if this world goes up in an atomic mushroom cloud, you in a hole in the ground is not going to change anything. <laughs> and Jesus said this is going to get worse, and he said he's coming back. That's what we've got to know. So whatever your eschatology is, don't get overly worked up about it, because at best it's speculation. <laughs> I mean, it really, at best, that's what it is. It's... It's biblical speculation, but there are lots of things that could happen. And I believe that however it goes down is going to be way different to how you have arm wrestled over. <laughs> it's going to be way more spectacular than you could ever imagine. So just let God be God because you're not in control. Just leave it. <laughs> I mean, some people think they are the authority on how end times are going to work. Rubbish, man. None of us are. You can have a YouTube channel and do the whole thing, but you're not. Because we don't know. Next one. Your life is not about... Sorry, we said that. It was the one I missed out here. Um, you are not important. A bit of a wake-up call. <laughs> you are not important. It's a shift from self to others. Boys care about themselves... Men care about others. Okay. So, the last point that we have to embrace is that you are going to die. <laughs> when you are 13, you're not thinking about that. I'm only 58. And I can't imagine what 80 must be like. I, I cannot imagine me being 80. My dad's 83. And I, I can't imagine what, the, I, I, I don't know whether when he was 30 that he thought that 83 would ever come. We nearly lost him twice during COVID. So we know how fragile life is. And he's, he's fit and well, but he nearly died twice. And... Uh, and suddenly you go like, wow. But the reality is that we're all going to die. All of us. So it's a shift from the temporary to the eternal. And that shift has to take place if you want to be a mature believer. Boys think their time is unlimited. Men understand that life is short. First Corinthians, Paul tells us in chapter 13, uh, verse, yeah, chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So that's what happens. You grow up. 
And I think, though, that in the church today, we have a, a maturity problem. I think that we have immature people. And we have immature leaders, and that's why people get hurt. And that's why things go pear-shaped in the church. When you think, gee, it should be right. Yes, it should be. But sometimes we have immature people and people that haven't dealt with stuff. And we've become focused on the wrong things. Leaders have made it all about themselves. And the people have made it all about themselves, the congregation. It's like, uh, they did a survey in America years ago in the 90s. And the figures were staggering that 98% of, sorry, 89% of the church in America believed that the church existed to meet their needs and the needs of their families. I mean, if it's in America, it's everywhere. And you just, it's the culture, it just, it's part of our Western thinking. So 89% of the church believed that the church existed to meet their needs and the needs of their families. Only 11% believed that the church existed to reach the lost. There's a maturity problem because I'm thinking it's all about me. And it's not. It's not all about us. Jesus' parting shot, 20, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, you read it. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's Jesus' parting shot. He's saying to his disciples, guys, you've been with me for three years. You've seen my life. You've lived uh, with me. I've, you've seen everything I've done. You've heard my teachings. If you get nothing else over these three years, if you get nothing else, if you've forgotten everything, just remember this. Go make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. That's why... If you saved and you're still breathing, that's why you're still breathing if you saved. Because you know what? If it was all about going to heaven when you die, which it is, but if that was the only thing it was about, then can you imagine doing an altar call? <laughs> I see that hand. Oof, gone. Heaven. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> ah, I see that hand. Bang. Gone. I mean, the lady on the organ playing just as I am without one plea. Can you remember that? <laughs> and it's like, ooh, this is a dangerous job. People, people get taken out of here if we do this. <laughs> yeah. And then why is the pastor still here? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel like that when I, because I grew up in the full gospel church, I have a, I have a theology that I grew up with, and and when I can't find Abby around the house, <laughs> looking for her, I'm like, wait, nothing. She was here a minute ago. <laughs> I'm like, where are you? She, oh, don't do this to me, man. And I find her. She's at the other side of the garden or something, talking to the dogs. And I'm going like, oh, don't do this to me. But, you know, make me doubt everything I believe. I mean, don't just help me. <laughs> What have you got sitting up here still? Sky full of stars. Okay, all right, we're going to get this. It's all going to come together, I promise you. So our mission, the reason why we still breathe and are saved is because there are disciples to be made. There's a world to be won. There's work to do. And each one of us, I was saying it on the other night, each one of us has a sphere of unique combination of relationships around our lives. 
Each one of us know lots of people. Some really well, others not too well. And some of us know some of the same people, but in different ways. And so around each of our lives, we have this, this sphere of influence, this combination unique to us, this combination of relationships. And Jesus wants to exploit that with his love for the gospel. And so wherever we go, do you not have to be a pastor? You, wherever you go, your work as a believer, because you're still breathing oxygen, that's how we know, it's proven, because we're still breathing oxygen. Wherever you are, Monday to Friday, your workspace, that's your context for your ministry. All of us, making disciples, that's the context. Where you find yourself every day, that's your context. You see, it's immature to have, I will have Monday to Friday Christians, then Sunday, oh, we get Saturday just to warm up, and then Sunday, oh, yes, bless God, brother. Thank you, praise the Lord. Oh, how are you? Blessed and you. And then on Monday morning, we grumpy as anything, we start on Sunday night because, you know, we've got to face Monday. And then we get to work and we rude and we uncaring and unfriendly and nobody knows that we're undercover Christians. <laughs> got so much camouflage on that nobody knows that we're believers. That's not how we live our lives, friends. We live our lives shining. And so when you go to work, wherever you do, whatever your sphere is that you operate in Monday to Friday, that's your mission field. That's your context. And you just go like, oh, well, I took the job because it was the only job I could find. Well, that doesn't matter. God gave it to you. And God wants you there for a reason. And that reason is to touch somebody's life with his love. Come on, friends. That's where we've got to be. That's the church that Jesus is building. Mature believers doing the work. Mature believers doing the work. So when Forsyth Church, during the week, the reach is incredible. If you see it that way, you can sit here on a Sunday morning and worship God and be together, be instructed in the Word. But when you go out, this church goes on mission. And you are, wherever you are, you are on mission for Jesus. Going there to make disciples. That's the church Jesus is building. It, it permeates our culture. It, it spreads. You can't control it. You know, Paul, when you read Paul, he, said, he, he says this when he was in prison in Rome. He writes this to the Philippines. He says, he says this, the members of Caesar's household send, your, send greetings to you. They're members of, in Caesar's household. I say it was Caesar's palace, but that up is something around on the hill, on the hill here somewhere. I'm not, I wasn't talking about that one, but Caesar in the Bible. In the palace, there were people that were saved, disciples of Jesus, as a result of Paul's ministry and as a result of him being there under house arrest. And the Christians just being Christians, making disciples wherever they go. And there, some of them were in his household. In the superpower of the day, the world superpower of the day, in, his, in that guy's household, there were believers because the Christians took this thing literally. 
So we've made it all about ourselves. And then when we're feeling down and we're feeling a little bit depressed, we read a scripture in our quiet time. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future, to prosper you and not to harm you. Oh yes, we've got a coffee mug with that on it. <laughs> Makes us feel good in the morning. We've got a key ring that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, those are grossly taken out of context. And there are thousands and thousands of coffee mugs and key rings around the world with those scriptures on them to make Christians feel happy about themselves and the fact that in this horrible dark world, there's a God who does care about them. Friends, that is true. He does care about you, but he's got you here for a reason. And he wants you to do something for him. Not to just wait until he comes, because, I mean, there's an easier way. Just He's not just hold on till Jesus comes. No, there's a job for us to do and an exciting adventure to live. And it doesn't need a fat bank balance to do it. You don't have to say, oh, well, you know, if you don't know my situation, you know, I, no, I don't know your situation. You don't know my situation. So we all got situations, but it doesn't depend on that situation. It's just what it is. You are the church and that's what the church does. We go make disciples. So, these scriptures that we often take out of context, and then we go like, oh, we stick a bumper sticker on our car, like, not perfect, just forgiven. <laughs> so don't judge me too harshly if I don't really live out all the fruits. I know we ran a red light this morning, we were late. Um, but, um, <laughs> and I had Foresight Church on the back windscreen. I'm going like, jeepers, Oaks. But I had to follow him because I was following him and I didn't know where to go if I didn't stay behind. So I also jumped a red light, but I haven't got any Jesus stuff in my car, so I'm good. <laughs> it's just got Subaru on the back and, you know, you know I was driving, I was, we were driving down. Oh, it's crazy, man. We, we do this a lot. We were going down the coast one, one year and I, I had a guy, tail, it was the evening, we were going on holiday and a guy tailgating me and I, I was like, dang, I'm doing the speed limit, and this oak is like all over me, big bright lights. So I, was, I had my, my hand like this on the, <laughs> on the side of the car holding the roof. And as he went past, <laughs> I couldn't resist it. I just told him the time of the day, and it was 12 noon. And Abby said, Abby says this, she said, what did you just do? I said, nothing, I was just holding the... <laughs> I mean, why do we do this? Come on, Christians, let's behave. See, maturity is something that we want to see in others, but we excuse its absence in our own lives, don't we? We do. We judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge others by their actions. That's called hypocritical. It's a hypocrite, and we'll never win anybody. In fact, Jesus was against those kinds of people. Jesus said, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed sepulchers. That, <laughs> that's what his response to them was. 
So we've got to be consistent. We represent Jesus here on earth. So God's goal for your life, if you're looking at Jeremiah 29, 11, it's the plans he has for you. God's plan for you is maturity. And if you read the Philippians, the Galatians thing, or the, what was it, the Philippians chapter 4 thing, about he, I can do all things through Christ, that's maturity. You can become mature because Christ strengthens you. That's where that script, scripture comes in because it's talking about Paul and all the stuff he had to go through to preach the gospel. That's the context. So God, Jesus, yes, he will strengthen you, but not to do your own thing, to do his thing. That's what we're called to do. So, Maturity is the plan for your life, and maturity is what Christ strengthens you for. What have we got sitting up on the right-hand side here? Sky full of stars. Okay, still there. All right. Haven't gone away. See, I think maturity is mission critical. I think it's important because it's the mission that's at stake for us. Christians, we relinquish the mission when we focus on ourselves. We can't take people further than we are are ourselves. How are you going to make disciples if you're not growing in maturity? How are you going to win the lost when you're always getting offended by people? And please tell me, how on earth are we going to bring new believers to church if we are disagreeable with everybody? <laughs> you come to my church, love you, and then you're nyagering that one and nyagering that one, and it's just like maturity. Let's give maturity a definition, shall we, this morning? Ready to write this down? I think it's a good one. (laughs) Maturity is the unsupervised ability to contribute more than you consume. Maturity is the un supervised, it's an important word, unsupervised ability to contribute more than you consume. See, it's not about you, it's about others. That's the shift. Not about you. So, your ability in an unsupervised way, nobody looking over your shoulder going, hey, have you done this? No? Unsupervised, I don't need somebody telling me to do this. I contribute more than I consume. So see, to the immature, it's all about them. You look at babies. Everybody, well, not everybody, but some of us, we've had kids. And the babies just eat and get cleaned and eat again and get cleaned again, go to bed, wake up, same story, and they just do that. You do that long enough, they grow. That's what happens. They don't care about where the money's coming from. They don't care about... You know, what they could do to help you. They're not interested in that. They don't say, oh, well, mom, you know, maybe I should, you know, start using the potty so you don't have to. Well, in our day, we washed nappies. You guys just throw them away. We don't, so maybe I should, you know, and, and they don't think on that level. They just think about their own things all the time. You know, little silkworms. Remember the silkworm phase? Every parent's had the silkworm phase. Johnny comes home from school with a silkworm because some mate gave it to him and it's in his blazer pocket. Now you go like, for heaven's sake, I can't leave it in his blazer pocket. I'm going to have to put him in a shoebox. 
And then he brings a whole lot more because now, now you've got to find somebody with a mulberry tree because they only eat mulberry leaves. Now you, got, now you know nobody, you haven't got anybody in your neighborhood with one, so now you've got to go across town to go and find your family member. Oh, yes, we do have a mulberry tree. Oh, can I come in? But you've got to do that every day because the leaves get all crinkly and then they, they stop eating. And all those silkworms do is just eat. They just eat. That's all they do. All day. You chuck more leaves in there, they flatten them. And then, they, then all is this, the spine of the leaves left there. And then they're looking around. Where's another leaf? <laughs> Just consuming. That's all they're there to do is consume. And then when they get kind of long enough, I don't know how they know when, they start spinning this the cocoon. And they spin this thing, it's yellow, white, whatever. You feed them, apparently, I don't know. And then they, the striped ones and the white ones. And then they do this thing. And then... Something happens in there. I remember as kids, we used to cut the thing open to see what was going on in there. But you're not supposed to do that because it short circuits the whole process. And then what happens? Moths come out. You've got a male moth and a female moth. The male moth's got one job. <laughs> He's got one job. And then he dies. They go out in a blaze of glory. One job. fertilize those eggs and the female's job's got a female moth's got one job lay those eggs and then she dies see the babies the immature consume the mature contribute and then they die Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 16 it's beautiful Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. See that word? We become mature. So these gifts that he gives the church is so that we, we can be equipped to do works of service so the body of Christ can be built up so that we reach a unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So unity in the faith and maturity go hand in hand, friends. Unity in the body, unity in the faith, go hand in hand with maturity. Because we've got to become mature. And then he says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So in that passage, we have infants, the immature, they tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching on YouTube. Can I just say, can I just say, on behalf of your Lead elder couple. Please don't. It's the worst thing in the world. I'm helping you, okay? Helping you help him. He hasn't paid me anything to do this. I'm just telling you. 
because I've been there. You're busting your guns to get preaching and you, and you teach. And then somebody says, oh, you should, you should watch this. I'll send you the link. YouTube, some other guy preaching the same stuff you've been busting your guns with for six weeks. And they go like, that's amazing. Have you heard this preach? You should, you should watch it. And Chris is going like, yeah, I haven't got time because I've got a whole lot of other stuff to do. But, but that's chopping him at his knees, man. <laughs> you go, you give a guy and say, this is amazing. You should watch this. It doesn't help him. It makes him feel discouraged because now, I mean, I, listen, <laughs> I just go like, oh, yeah, okay. I'll watch it when I get a, a, time, a chance. I'm not saying don't encourage. I'm just saying that there's a lot of flaky stuff that's out there. And if we immature, we just get caught up in it and we flop from one extreme to the next. And we, I mean, COVID was ridiculous. We had so many of these theories. And I mean, if you stood under a tower with your cell phone, you're going to get COVID. And it's like, oh man, it was ridiculous. We had all this stuff going on. Some of you might even been putting them up there. I don't know. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying it's stupid because that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't contribute anywhere. It's just stuff that gets thrown out there. Not helpful. And so infants consume because they think it's all about them. So they get tossed to and fro with every doctrine and they are prey to people that want to control and manipulate. But they're too immature to understand that they're being played. And then you have the adults, the mature. They speak the truth in love. They grow up and build each other up. And they fulfill the calling on their lives. That's what the mature do. And read that passage. They grow and they build themselves up in love as each part does its work. Adults contribute because they know it's not all about them. So when a child behaves like a child, you know that when a child is a child and it behaves like a child and squawks and carries on. Everybody excuses that because isn't these little child has been very well behaved. Well done. It's a, it's a definite uh, asset to her parents. But when children misbehave, another one at the back there, when children misbehave and they act like babies, we excuse it. <laughs> when an adult behaves like a baby, then it becomes awkward. If somebody does something and it's really childish and everybody's looking at each other going like, ooh, what just happened there? <laughs> but somehow we get away, we like to get away with it in church. We think it's like, you know, it's important. Um, so when an when adult behaves like a child, there's a problem. It's even more a problem in the church because maturity is mission critical. It's about the mission. And if, if your leadership have to be concerned about patching up broken relationships in the church where we should be loving each other and building each other up, strengthening each other. But no, we've got to now go and run around and patch up all the fights and the squabbles that are happening. We've taken our eyes off the prize. We've taken our eyes off the mission. It's all about us, how we feel. You know what? Offense is a, is a choice. You choose to be offended. You choose it because it's not going to kill you. It's not life-threatening. It's not fatal. And yes, somebody might say something careless and you go like, oh, it didn't help. But just let it slide because you know it's not true. 
if somebody says something bad to me and I feel like potentially I could be offended by this, I've got to ask myself some questions. Does this person know me? Yes or no? No? Okay, check it out. Do they love me? Yes or no? No? Okay, check it out. Is this going to help me? Yes or no? If the person loves me, then maybe yes, it could help, so maybe I should take it on board. But not get offended, just make some adjustments. So it's easy to navigate through offense. We don't need to be offended. So the unsupervised ability to contribute more than you consume. What we got at the top here? Okay, all going to land in a minute. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish with the scripture. Verse 12 to 16. Therefore, my dear friends, Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 16. As you have always obeyed, do not only, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, unsupervised. So Paul, when he's there, they're all obeying. And then he says, when I'm not there, you've carried on obeying, unsupervised. You know what? I'm not looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're doing it. Paul says, so even when I'm not there, you carry on obeying even more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not to get saved. It's your sanctification. It's the working out of your daily walk with the Lord. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according uh, uh, to fulfill his good purpose, in order to fulfill his good purpose. He works in you to will and to act. That's an incredible, incredibly loaded statement there because it says that he is working in us, he's transforming us, working in us to want to and also to do. So he changes things in our hearts, our priorities. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. How many of you know that we live in a warped and crooked generation? We live in this space. We know it. You just got to look anywhere in any direction and you'll find warped and crooked generation. But he says that we must become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. The Christian life has got to be a sharp contrast to the warped and crooked generation that we live in. It has to be. It's mission critical. Because we'll shine in this world like stars just by being a Christian and walking like a believer. And you know what's incredibly important about stars? In the ancient times, it was the only way they could navigate at night. So they're in darkness, they're trying to find a harbor. The only way they can navigate is by stars. They learned how to do that. Friend, We're a sky full of stars. The lost in this warped and crooked generation in the darkness are begging you to shine brightly 
so that they can navigate their way back home. They are begging you to shine like stars so that they can find their way back. It's about stepping up to the plate, about doing it, about living out daily. It's about upping our game, willingly giving ourselves. What if we could live our Christian walk in obedience to Jesus without supervision? as mature, dedicated believers, if our attitudes could be consistently good and our partnership sweet with no grumbling or arguing, wouldn't that be amazing? What if our service and ministry could be joyful and fruitful? What if there was somebody navigating their way back to Jesus by observing your life? Would they find their way? What if they worked with you or worked for you? Would they find their way? What if they lived with you and sat around your dinner table every night? What if they wanted to imitate you? I want to be just like dad one day. What if they wanted to be like mom? Would they find their way back home? Would they? God bless you.